HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. Discover the best artisanal foods that America has to offer. Shop for more at manykitchens.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, um, the beverage director of the Epicurean Group of Restaurants. And today we have on Caitlin Doonan from Toro. Uh, Hello. Welcome to In the Drink. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. I've just, I just had a spectacular meal at Toro. Uh, really love uh, what you're doing with uh, predominantly or all Spanish wine list. Actually, only about 50%. Only 50%. Which is crazy, but... Mm-hmm. Um, well, a huge emphasis on Spanish wines. Uh, really cool wines. I drank a, a funky uh, Amistoid uh, chocolate, red chocolate uh, wine. That was very, very cool. Um, very fun uh, cocktail list, and uh, the, the food is just awesome there. So uh, I'm Thank excited you. to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Um, so you, you know, we we kind of we went to NYU at the same time. Uh, you were a musical theater. Major. I was yes, singing and dancing my way through four years at NYU. <laughs> And uh, and now somehow you're you're in the city uh, running a beverage program at, at it is crazy. one of the hottest new restaurants. So uh, where how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> how did that happen? Um, well, I guess I was always kind of in in restaurants, um, even in the summers in high school. As soon as I could work, it was like okay, get a job. That's what grownups do. Uh, so during the summers, I I was working at restaurants in Connecticut where I went to high school, and. Um, at NYU in the city, I wanted to do something to make some money that I could immediately spend and not save any of. Um, so I was working in restaurants at that point, too. I was um, bartending mostly. Mm. I was at Dos Caminos. And then when I graduated and was officially an actor, of course, right when I graduated, um, I was doing that to pay the bills. And that's for a, a while what it was, just a way to kind of make sure I could stay living in the city. And... Um, I really fell in love with it, and what I learned was that 
learning was a huge part of who I was. Both my parents are teachers. And so constantly wanting to learn and never wanting to not have the answer to a question really was what drove me to really learn more, especially about wine. It was this whole world that I didn't really know about. And so I wanted to find out all the answers so that I could give that to my guests. What, was there a, a moment or an influential person that, uh, that, that uh, inspired you in the industry that you can kind of point to those that, that was like, Oh, that, that, that my mind started to think differently from I'm doing restaurants as a side thing to support my life. And while I pursue, while I pursue music, musical Absolutely. theater. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there were a few, I think that for me, it became, I was starting to turn down opportunities to either go on auditions or take shows because I was wanting to keep my restaurant job, which is kind of a bad sign. If you find yourself wanting to be in restaurants more than you want to act, you should get out of acting. Um, but yeah, along that way, there were definitely people who were huge influence on me. When I was in Boston for graduate school, I opened the W Hotel and Market by Jean George up there as a bartender and, and quickly found out that I wanted to do more than that and just asked. And I, I think that that for me has been the biggest thing, asking for opportunities. And so our general manager there at the time was wonderful and let me sit on in on any tasting that he had and he was the wine director as well as the gm for the property and so just exposing myself to as much as possible mm -hmm. he was really the first one that took me under his wing and allowed me to do as much as i wanted to do so that was awesome yeah i mean that's a, a great group to work for um i don't know if you had a chance to work with heather morgan uh heather was our uh, uh, our second GM ever at uh, at Lertuzzi, and now uh, we she just became our second director of operations. Ever. Awesome. Our first GM was our our first director of operations, and he left to work with Shake Shack. And now, um, but but Heather worked at John George yeah. in Boston, opening it. Yeah, opening it. Yeah, yeah. The um, the John George people are just really wonderful. I had actually worked at Spice Market in New York before going up to Boston, and. I loved working with all of those people. They were so passionate and so inspired. And, and I knew that if I could find that in Boston, I wasn't like a part of the restaurant scene in Boston, which is wonderful and such a small family. And once you're in, it's like they embrace you with open arms. And I wasn't a part of that yet. So finding something that was familiar to me in the Jean-Georges Culinary Concepts group in New York coming to Boston, I was like, oh, this is a safe place. I know these people. I understand this world a little bit. So that was like a great foray for me into the Boston restaurant scene. And that's where I first, of course, became really familiar with what Ken and Jamie do up there, which is amazing. Yeah, I I, I don't know Jamie, um, but uh, or very well, but but I know Ken. He's maybe one of the nicest guys I've mm -hmm. ever met in in the industry or, or in life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, they both are amazing, uh, amazing teachers and collaborators, and they're just so open to hearing what you have to say. Which is, as a younger person in this industry, with way less experience than both of them have you know they have james beards and they have multiple restaurants and they're really some of the kings of the boston restaurant scene so to be able to work with them as collaborators is amazing and did you work with them in boston before coming to new york i actually didn't know i i frequented both of their restaurants quite a bit i lived right around the corner from cleo and uni which is ken's and um i went to the south end to go to toro and copa a lot yeah Oh yeah, 
yeah. pretty awesome. I've been oh, to. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh, I went to Copa recently. Had a, just a absolutely killer. Meal. Yeah, it's just like a perfect uh, neighborhood place that still has just incredible food. Yeah, really charming on the corner in the yep. most beautiful neighborhood. And oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. It I mean, just absolutely killing it. So you got to uh, you had to meet them. Super nice guys, super talented. Mm-hmm. I mean, incredibly well-respected yep. uh, in, in the industry. And you just met them from coming into the restaurants. Um, I, I didn't really have a relationship with Ken and Jamie in Boston. Oh. I just kind of... I had a, more of a relationship with their food, probably. I knew, I knew obviously everything they were doing, um, but I didn't have a personal relationship with them. It wasn't until um, I was actually interviewing with them that I even was really meeting them. Okay, and when you were interviewing with them, were you looking to make a move to New York? Or so, okay, so back up. Um, so I was in Boston. I was working there. I actually moved back to New York to take a job in casting, of all things. I decided, like, I didn't want to be an actor anymore. I didn't know how to be a full-time restaurant professional. And people always told me, you're really good at identifying talent. You're really good at kind of sorting people into types and you should go into casting. So very long story short, I commuted between New York and Boston for about six months with an internship and working in Boston. And then I decided, you know, I'm just going to move back to New York. That was kind of home for me. My family is all in Rockland County, New York. So coming back home. Um, and so I took a job in casting and was doing commercial casting for about six months and completely hated it and missed being in restaurants. So that's when I started just like putting out every feeler possible and through like amazing luck ended up at Momofuku at Ma Pesh and met um, Teresa Paupau, who I would say is like one of my biggest mentors for sure. Um, so she was running the beverage program at Momofuku at the time and I was at Mapesh and she was about to in like five months leave for Toronto. Yes. So, so tell what, give me an update on, on Teresa. I met Teresa in Boston mm-hmm. before she was moving to New York, um, uh, weeks before she was moving to New York. And, uh, we were doing, uh, a dinner at Upstairs on the Square with, mm-hmm. with Matt Reiser. Yeah. A very, very nice guy who's also moved from Boston to uh, to New York. Um, and as I was just like compelled. I thought she was just an, an awesome, awesome person. She is an awesome person and an amazing teacher. And I think that the best thing about Teresa and why it was such a great fit for me is that she is so trusting and really willing to give the information to everyone. She's not someone who likes to just keep it to herself and Mm -hmm. be the one with the information. I think a lot of times we feel like having that information is some sort of sense of power. And she, like one of the things she's best at is kind of giving all the information away and letting everyone have access. And so, yeah, so I met her at Momofuku and started working with her when I was at Mapesh. At the time I was just hired as a manager, as a floor, just a manager, as a manager. And, um, it was awesome being a part of Momofuku. I mean, was incredible. And through a series of like crazy circumstances, the beverage manager at Mapesh was leaving and they couldn't find someone. And I had expressed interest to Teresa, like, listen, this is where I see myself going. This is really what I want to be doing eventually down the road. And she was about to leave for Toronto. So she was like, you know what? You're going to do it. <laughs> so, um, so she was really present for me. Um, and it started out as like, okay, if you want to make any changes, run them by me, like, let's talk about it, give me good reasons. 
And it very quickly became like, I trust you, you're making smart choices, let's do this. And that was like a crazy, fortunate, lucky thing. But um, I just kind of jumped in the deep end and started doing it and figured it out. (laughs) That's awesome. So is Teresa still in Toronto? Teresa is now, so um, she has actually relocated back to Boston, mm-hmm. and she opened Rebelle with Tim Maslow, another Momofuku alum. Um, it's his second restaurant in Boston, and they're getting just amazing rave reviews, and I'm sure that it's, I, like, I can't wait to go. Awesome. Top awesome. of my list when I go to Boston. Exactly. Next. Rebelle and Brookline. And tell us about your time at uh, Ma Pesh. Um, incredible. I... In this, in this yeah, wine, I think, wine manager, beverage yeah, manager Yeah, absolutely position. shaped what I think about the industry and um, kind of set me on a path. I got the opportunity to just try awesome, crazy things. Um, I think that one of the beautiful things about being a part of Momofuku is people understand that you're wanting and willing to open your mind and take risks and not just do something safe. So they bring you everything to taste like Mm. from a to z which is awesome and was great for me as a a buyer to have so much access to everything um i've had nothing but just truly outstanding meals there the food at mapesh is is awesome and i think sometimes people forget about it a little bit people do forget about mapesh a little it's you know underground and in a hotel it's easy to miss when you walk by but yeah i think that what Paul is doing there, Paul Carmichael, the chef is uh, incredible. And yeah, so, and I actually got to open Capo, which is the small chef's counter inside of the Mopesh dining room mm. with Paul. And I think that opened my eyes to the world of pairing a little bit more, which was something that I think you naturally do in the service industry your entire career and certainly as a bartender. Um, but being able to every night change up a pairing and and taste dishes and be like what works let's try six things and figure out um really what what marries well and i guess i had always really thought of pairing as something that completes something else and paul's food is perfect as it is and i think that it really taught me to enter that situation with that the dish is complete mm-hmm. you know it's it's 100% of what it is and it's all set by itself, just like a marriage with two people. Like each person is totally okay by themselves in an ideal situation, right? <laughs> so then when you put them together, it's just about accenting different qualities and, and seeing how that relationship between the two things works. And so for me, that experience of doing couple with Paul every night was awesome and just really taught me crash course in how I want to approach food and beverage together and what I think about all of that stuff. And what sorts of wines were you drawn to, or beverage in general, were you drawn to at that time? Everything and anything. Um, no, I think that things that are bold and, I mean, acid. I love acid. <laughs> um, but I think that things that for me were playful was the most important. Like nothing too expected. Um, like doing ciders with ramen and I think Paul's food was so um, like interesting and, and brought so many different things together that it wasn't like, oh, it has to be A, it has to be you know, caviar and champagne. His dishes were really kind of all over the place in a great way. Mm-hmm. So it, it allowed to me to do really anything. That's great. And then that's where I met Jordan Salcito, of course, as well. Um, 
so she was there at the end of my tenure at Mopesh, which another amazing teacher. Jordan, one of uh, my favorite people, I and mean, she's uh, yeah. been a guest on the show and, and a friend, uh, but someone who it it's easy to be excited about uh, about what you're doing when you're around Jordan because she has oh, so yeah. much joy and enthusiasm for life. And- Absolutely, I mean, between Teresa Papo and Jordan Salcito, it's like how could you have better teachers? <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick break. Um, We'll be back with more with Caitlin Dunan of Toro, New York City, um, in just a short bit. You're listening to Melted Magic by Obesity on heritageradionetwork.org. ManyKitchens.com, you can enjoy decadent caramel brownies, hand-picked teas, and fair trade coffee, oven-roasted chicken pot pies, and so much more. Whether you're planning a dinner party, sending a gift, or just want to try something new and delicious, Many Kitchens offers something for everyone. Help support small batch producers while you discover the best in artisanal foods from across the nation at ManyKitchens.com. Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. back with Caitlin Dunant of Toro, New York City. Um, so Caitlin, uh, tell us about the beverage program at, uh, at Toro um, and what you're doing over there. So Toro is um, a really a celebration of Spain. So everything from ciders to wines and sherries and, and also the rest of the old world. Uh, about 50% of the list is Spanish and then the rest is French, Italian, um, German. We're going to throw a little Austrian in there mm. soon as well. Um, Portugal, of course. Um, but really keeping it to Spain and its neighbors. So what you would maybe drink if you were in San Sebastian or Barcelona. I think that those two places in particular are huge inspirations for Ken and Jamie. And so thus, on the beverage side of it, they are as well. Yeah, so you have a good finger on the pulse of what's going on in Spain right now. I'm sure much better than I do. So what, what are some of the, the trends for Spain or what's, what's, what are some of the exciting new regions? What, what are you into? I think that the overall theme when I talk to winemakers and distributors and importers is that everyone is really trying to marry tradition and te- technology. I mean, it, which is probably a more a global thing. It's not just Spain, but I think for so long people kind of wrote off Spanish wine. And so there's a huge resurgence of people saying, no, we're going to focus on quality, not quantity. Probably all of those things that have 
happened in Germany and Austria and France and Italy previously are now really happening in Spain. Um, Sherry obviously has gotten a huge bump with all the love in, in New York, I know, and um, in America with all of the wine community, though we're still hoping to bring that to the mainstream guests. I think people are still a little bit scared of Sherry and think that it's what maybe their grandmothers drank. But so I would say Sherry is, is receiving a huge amount of attention. And I think that the next few years, there's going to be a ton of attention put on Cava and sparkling wines mm-hmm. coming out of Penedes because they're really trying to change the whole DO system there. Like Pepe Reventos is very outspoken in a great way about, about that and really focusing on terroir. I think the refocusing on terroir in Spain is a huge trend right now. And let's talk about cherry a little bit because uh, cherry has been something that's come up on our show quite a bit. <laughs> and you might be one of the few people who's actually been in a position to to sell some of it. Uh, I do sell a lot of cherry in a great in a great way. Uh, by the bottle, by the glass, we have uh, four cherries by the glass mm-hmm. and about 20 to 25 by the bottle. And we also have, I think, about eight now sherry cocktails. So we're doing a lot with sherry at Toro. And people are are gladly drinking it. Yeah, people are gladly drinking it. It's so interesting. Well, I was I was really almost worried that perhaps that neighborhood would only be a cocktail place, that people wouldn't really indulge in wine and certainly not esoteric wine, and people would maybe be a, a little scared by a Spanish-dominated list. Mm-hmm. Like, what are all these grapes? Where are these places? I've never heard of this before. But our guests are so incredibly adventurous and trusting. It's amazing to see every night the whole team is just taking people in really different directions, whether it's Spanish and and Rioja, which they're probably more familiar with, the most familiar on the list, to anything sherry um, or crazy Italian wines or whatever. Speaking of the the neighborhood, I... I, I can't think of another block in <laughs> know. the world that I know that, that is more of a powerhouse of excellent dining than between Del Posto, Colicchio Sons, and you guys. It's and across the street from Chelsea Market, but uh, I it's mean, pretty, pretty amazing. Extraordinary. Yeah, in one one building, uh, we all share basement space. So us, Del Posto, Colicchio and Sons, and Willow Road, we Willow all Road. share. Yeah, yeah, we all share the same basement, which is. Yeah, amazing to have that much uh, culinary genius in one place. It's pretty awesome. Do you, is there any collaboration? Do you do you guys see each other all the time? I think we're all so head down in our own restaurant. I yeah. think that's for sure a goal of mine. I emailed the gentleman at Calicchio and Del Posto recently to be like, let's taste together. That's the biggest thing I miss about being part of a larger group is that like weekly, like let's taste things together. I, might I insert myself? And yes. say, I, I love those guys. Ryan and Jeff are yeah, like... Ryan two, and Jeff are awesome. They are awesome. Yeah, so. they both were immediately, were like, absolutely, let's do it. Let's set something up. And I mean, there's, I don't know, like 10 Psalms at Del Posto. So yeah, we're going to we're gonna get a little powerhouse collective Ten together. Del Posto. <laughs> yeah, something oh like God. that. Maybe that, like seven. That I don't place know. is fancy. They have like all the... You know, sixty dollars stem like Movia stemware. It is pretty intense over there. Gorgeous, but yeah. Oh my god! A little bit the opposite of Toro. And they somewhere. serve they serve their appetizers in like a crumbled up hundred dollar bill that you just <laughs> throw out. At, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so the food there is just extraordinary. Yeah, I think lights Ma- out. Mark Ladner is like I think one of the greatest chefs that oh, absolutely. I've ever come across and. 
Uh, I, I love it there. I wish I, I wish I would go more often. <laughs> um, and and on your cocktail list, uh, you have uh, quite a bit of gin and tonics. What, what's yeah, that gin inspired by? So um, the gin tonic culture in Barcelona is huge. Um, you know the gin tonic hopping from place to place, and those guys are showmen. Like if you if you go on YouTube or something like that and look up these guys making gin tonics, like they have the crazy tongs and they're making ice spheres and they're intense. They serve them in big goblets, like jumbo sized gin tonics. So we wanted to take that and give a little bit of a New York twist on that, pay homage to that culture as well. And are people, people are into it. Yeah. I think treating it, it's funny because that's like an industry. I feel like any, like my friends in the industry, like, gin tonic like that's the like go-to drink for sure you go out and i think it's also like the safe the safe drink like no matter what bar in like the world that you go to in any town you know that a gin tonic is going to taste like something but yeah yeah, so we're doing more like a cocktail style like adding different ingredients one we're doing citadel gin and um yellow chartreuse to make a little bit of a spin on a french little theme um but yeah, we're doing green hook gin, which I'm obsessed with. Green hook gin. I just brought I just brought a, a big group from the restaurants out to uh, to the distillery. It's, it's a, <clears throat> cr- incredible. Dude, it's tiny. It's like the size of this radio <laughs> station, and they're making world class gin. I know the gin is awesome. So yeah, really letting the the gins themselves shine and giving them accompaniments that make sense to them is fun. And are you playing around with artisanal tonics as well? Mm-hmm. We're doing the fever tree. Uh, mm-hmm. We make our own house tonic. Um, and then we're actually using Seagram's for um, one of them just because it's it has its own flavor profile. I think that I, I've tasted a lot of tonics now and have experimented in making our own. I think that's something that we'll probably get more into making a bunch of different ones. But. And any tips for house making tonic? So... Uh, um, I think you just have to experiment. You have to have fun. Um, You have to, like, you should start with the typical coriander and star anise and uh, citrus peels, things like that. And then you can really go anywhere. Quinine, obviously. Yes, of course. Um, Yeah, I think just anything that you're like, ooh, I bet that flavor would be good. It probably (laughs) would be. Mm -hmm. And then making gin tonics, I find to be the hardest cocktail to master because of the balance between the tonic and the other ingredients that you have, whether it's gin and chartreuse or whatever it is. Finding that balance because you're tasting it and then adding something that has sugar in it to it. So you have to kind of underdevelop it and then see if it works. And it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, something you said earlier, it, it's, it's sticking with me and nagging me a little bit. Um, you you mentioned you, t- you spoke about Pepe Reventos and um, uh, the kind of great wines that he's making and this sort of return to terroir mm-hmm. idea in in Spain and uh, I, I want to hear more about this because um, I I agree with your previous statement where you said that a lot of people are either relying on their history or the the very very modern technology and I think that in talking about both of those things and you forget about the importance of the of the terroir so For sure i was really excited to hear you say mm-hmm. that there are more producers who are more focused on on terroir absolutely i think that and where we'll see it in a in a really large number is definitely in penedes with cava because mm. the cava do a lot of these makers of really amazing cavas or sparkling wines because pepe reventos doesn't make cava anymore um do labeled you'll 
find that they're doing soil studies on the tiny parcels of land. They're vinifying them separately. They're doing all of that stuff to really speak to the terroir and investigate, which I think is a huge thing that we often forget. Like, let's let's take some time and investigate what this is. And they're doing all that work. And um, I think that the they would say, and I would probably tend to agree with them, that the cava dio has been soiled a bit by all the mass-produced you know, what we view as poor man's champagne that you can go out and buy for such little money and they make a ton of it and it's perhaps more about quantity than quality. But you have those producers like Ramona, like Raventos, like Ricaredo that are really like, let's let's age our cavas longer. Let's not pretend we're making champagne because we're not. We're in Spain. This is ripe fruit. This is different grapes. Um, but we are making world-class sparkling wine. And I think that that's that's the next thing that people start to recognize that these kavas are no joke. Well, you know what else is no joke? You're no joke. Toro's <laughs> no joke. You Toro guys, is no joke. You guys have been uh, killing it. I think since day one, any time I've been by, it's been it's been super busy and uh, very impressive to to as as a new restaurant. When I went in December, it was a really like recently minted restaurant. The quality of of the, the food. Uh, of your, of your beverage program was just extraordinary high, extraordinarily high, and uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait to see how it continues to evolve because you have a lot of great people working you. It's going to get even better and better, and I'll be back soon. That's awesome. for sure. Awesome, we look forward to it. And uh, to all of all of you who have uh, made it to this point in the show. I have a little present for you. <laughs> um, if you're around tomorrow night at uh, at Lepicho, we're going to be having Matt Licklider of Lioko Wines at Lepicho, who's also been a guest on In the Drink. And he'll be there for from 5.30 to 7.30, pouring a huge range of all of his Lioko Wines and uh, ordering up a bunch of food. And if you've listened to this show, you get to come for free. Nice. Um, so hope to see you there. I will certainly be there, and uh, and Matt will be very, very happy to see you. So, awesome. Caitlin, I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for of being course. on In the Thank Drink. You. And thanks to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 